Welcome to the Monday Minute of the Hunt Back Country podcast. These are shorter and more informal episodes where we answer listener questions. Steve, we're back to normal, not in a hotel room as we were for last week's Monday Minute. Yeah, uh, yeah, it feels good to be back home, back with the family, get back into the uh, kind of regular, you know, working routine. Obviously, we got what are we two-ish weeks out two from weeks. the Hunt Expo in Salt Lake. Which looking forward to. I yeah. randomly decided to rebuild our uh, booth for that in the middle of last week, so we're kind of uh, working on that at the moment. But uh, yeah, things are good. It is good. We've definitely been getting uh, questions from folks on if we're going to be there and what we're going to have there, and et cetera, et cetera. Which is great. We're excited to see a lot of you. Just a quick down rundown on that. I think we mentioned this prior, but just to clarify some things. We'll, of course, be at Hunt Expo with a full booth. Uh, we will have all packs there to see, uh, you know, all different bag sizes to check out, and then all different combinations of sizing with things loaded up with weight. So uh, no matter what you're interested in, you can see it slash try it on there. We will not have physical inventory to purchase and walk away with that day, just because logistically that gets really complex. Um, but we'll be taking orders, uh, show special pricing and shipping for free. And then those will be shipping like super quick. Some people get shipping notifications within hours or if it's later in the show, it might take, uh, you know, several days to get caught up, but that's what that looks like for hunt expo. And then again, because those dates interfere with Portland, we're not going to be at Portland this year, but we will have a display pack and a couple places where you can go check out that display pack and, sign up for a show special pricing for folks who attend Portland. So stay tuned for more on that. But Steve, to dive into it, um, SHOT Show felt like it was back to like a post-COVID normal in many ways. It felt like there was 100,000 people there. There wasn't, but there probably was 50 plus thousand people there. Uh, just a massive event with a ton of people. Yeah, it was frankly, it was just fantastic. It's the, we've been doing this for quite a while now. So we have a lot of friends in the you know, hunting world and then tactical world as well, which is shot shows kind of morphed into. And it was just a blast for you and I to walk around the floor and felt like every 50 steps you're running into a f- familiar face and stop and have a conversation. And that was, uh, that was really cool. It was hard for us to see stuff like you know people like i've personally talked with guys I'm like oh you went to shot what's the coolest stuff you saw and as oh, you yeah. said steve we were there for meeting with some of our suppliers and partners we had some meetings kind of like on the military sales side of things so we had some commitments and things that kept us busy so we didn't get as much time as we'd liked just to like walk and wander and stumble into stuff um we're gonna have to do more time in the future years but Anything that does stand out? Because we did see some cool stuff. Uh, I would have to go through some notes and business cards to remember all of it. <laughs> uh, gosh, you caught me off guard there. Yeah. Let's see. What did we see? There had to have been some. There was definitely some cool stuff. Um, you know, the ran- one of the random ones was the uh, Hornady's got that little red flashing light, right? That just senses oh, vibration. Yeah. The target cool. indicator. for like 10 bucks it's a it's a target indicator so for it's like 10 bucks it's this little thing that i don't even know if it clamps on or sticks on or whatever but you can put it on your target and if you're shooting at a thousand yards or whatever 
you hit the target and it just any type of vibration, that red light just flashes for five seconds, 10 seconds. And that was really simple and really cool. Uh, Cause there's certainly times I was telling a story when I was shooting one day, um, I was out by, by myself out in the desert, south of Boise shooting and it's like 600 yards and a shot shot and the way the wind was blowing, I just never heard anything. Right. Um, oh crap. I missed shot two more times, missed, missed. And I had actually put cardboard up behind the, um, steel target. So I could see, you know, if I just missed by an inch or did I miss by a foot and I would go up there and all three bullets were like perfect freaking shots. And, uh, the way the heat waves are out there, you like, you, I couldn't even see the little impact on the steel, but got out there and yeah, all the shots were freaking dialed and, uh, would have been really nice to have that indicator. Of, oh, I am hitting the target. Um, yeah, that was just a random, simple, cool product. Yeah. I think it really stood out too, because we had previously seen, a similar concept, but a much more complicated execution right? of like, yeah. oh, hey, here's this uh, sensor you put on a target and then here's this receiver that you take with you as the shooter and it has, you know, up to a mile range and these bigger units and complexity and they talk to each other and it was a cool system. But then we walked over to Hornady and they're like, yeah, here's these $10 vibration sensors and you can, uh, it comes with its own little mount, like this rubber strap and like you could strap it to the stand of your target and you hit that target and it vibrates and boom, this giant or not giant, this small, but very bright light flashes and it has great long distance visibility and you just see, yep, I hit. So it doesn't show you where, of course, but it's a, a cool little indicator for 10 bucks. So sometimes a simple solution is great. Yeah. Simple is always better. One thing that came up, uh, you know, as I mentioned, we, we some of the meetings we had were like on the military side of things, Steve. And mm -hmm. one thing that came up there is um, relates to our regular customers. And then there's, I don't want to call it misconceptions out there, but, you know, this whole idea of made in the USA. And there's uh, been chatter previously that uh, what does that mean? Is it true? To what extent is it true, et cetera? And there's, some folks will understand this when I say it, some won't, but there's something called barrier compliance, which for the military, in most instances, not all, they are purchasing products that are fully barrier compliant, which essentially means they are not only made in the USA, but all of the materials and components, in our case, like things like fabric and buckles and et cetera, of a pack are sourced and made in the USA. Um, it's relevant. It was like in our head coming off of SHOT Show and some military stuff that we do, but also just thought it would be cool to elaborate a little bit about that for even our regular customers who maybe never heard of Barry Compliance, don't even know, but just to like dive deeper a little bit past, okay, XO, we make our packs, we make our pack accessories in the USA. But what about materials? What about components? What about fabrics, et cetera? So I wanted to dive into that a little bit, Steve, and what can you say about all that? Yeah, I mean, every we pretty much buy and source very compliant USA-made materials essentially wherever we can until we hit a speed bump where something doesn't, you can't get it available here in the US. So the when like you just kind of go through like, all of our Cordura, 500D Cordura, USA made, very compliant. The exception there is Fusion, First Light. We buy that fabric from them. 
they forever had it made in the USA and then two years ago switched overseas with that. Um, and uh, where I guess, yeah, I'll, <laughs> as I'm mentioning that, just a heads up, we are going to phase out fusion throughout this year. So that will no longer be an option after probably this fall. We'll kind of keep it stocked through the summer and phase it out this fall. Um, but uh, yeah, just going through the pack, Cordura is all the webbing is very compliant, made in the USA. The all the main plastic buckles um, on the pack are very compliant, made in the USA. We use actually use kind of a combination of all different vendors just because it'd be simpler to use just one. Um, so like National Molding, huge buckle company, um, make very compliant stuff. You could you could say, all right, we're just using National Molding to be limited to their options, but sometimes they don't have the exact buckle that I'm looking for. So like an example would be our the two inch ladder lock that we use for the hip belt that comes from a company called ITW Nexus again, made in the USA, very compliant. The um, set all the one inch main buckles um, last with K4. We changed that to YKK, uh, which it, this is their military made in the USA, very compliant buckle um, that we switched to that because I really, really liked the locking buckle that we, they developed. Um, and it has kind of a nice, that buckle is a nice combination of, like still relatively lightweight, but it is like a, a military, you know, buckle that it's, it's really stout and strong. So, uh, national molding has like a two different series. One's called Mojave and one's called Mojave HD. The HD ones like really, really beefy, but like too much. So like when you click that thing together, it has a very audible, like snap that like, you know, if you're out hunting, you're trying to be quiet, like echo across the Canyon type thing. Um, and the regular Mojave's kind of light and flimsy, um, where this YKK one's really good compromise between those two. Um, all the, the carbon stays that make up the frame, those are made in New Mexico, 100% made in the USA, very compliant. Um, really it's like, you kind of go down the list, even the, the plastic that we use and the hip belt that kind of reinforces behind the lumbar pad made in the USA, very compliant. Uh, all the stretch fabric made in the USA, very compliant. The uh, foam is made in the USA. Uh, we actually buy it through um, a Canadian distributor, which is a little tricky. So it's made in the USA, shipped up to Canada. Um, they laminate, like on our harness, we, we laminate two foams together uh, to create a, create a really custom, nice cushy feel there. Best of both worlds where you get a, a more dense foam that is going to hold up and last a long time. Then we laminate like a quarter inch of really soft foam to the front of that. Um, so it's, it is that one's brought up there, um, laminated and then shipped back down to us. Um, what else? Um, basically the, essentially when we get into what's not made in the USA are the YKK zipper that we use is called their RC stands for a racket coil it that zipper was designed for like airline luggage um it there's a it's got a special shape to the metal coil where the threads that stitch the coil to the zipper tape are there's actually kind of a a recess in the metal coil so that they're not exposed um and getting and getting abrasion and rubbed on over time that would be a failure point of a, a metal zipper that's just flat out not made in the usa uh, it's not an option it's it's tricky like when we do like a military order like it sucks that we have to go buy 
uh, a standard YKK military zipper that's very compliant because uh, it's an inferior product. Like just flat out it is it's going to fail at some point where the racket coil is going to be probably last, you know, two or three times longer. But that's just what it is. That's what they're, you know, that's what they need. But for our, our hunting packs, we choose to go get that RC zipper. And then with K4, it's actually kind of a cool process. And YKK jumped through some hoops for us. But that zipper is manufactured over there. But the tape is just left um, kind of natural color. So it's kind of a whitish. Um, and they actually ship it to YKK in Georgia to do all the finishing. So the the tape as well as the sliders, the metal slider, um, are actually uh, finished in Georgia. They're plant there where they uh, paint the sliders and dye the tape to get the exact coyote brown and ranger green that we want um and then the only other part so that metal tri-glide that's at the top of the load lifters um we get that from a company called a plus and they have that made overseas um i tried to find like a a good way to get that done in the states just aesthetically and cost wise um it was uh, just a better product to get that from those guys. That's what they do. They do met molding metal products and um, custom molded products. And um, so when we do the Barry compliant military packs, the company that makes all of our G hooks here, and they're actually locally in Boise, we switch over to them um, and get those made there. But they're just don't, they don't look as nice. They're going to kind of rough around the edges. Um, but uh, yeah, in general, I said that for us, um, it's so much easier to stick with USA companies, like as far as sourcing and things like that and, and getting things in a timely matter that I try to avoid going overseas pretty much at all costs. Like when we do um, like those metal tri-glides, we order an entire year's worth at once because uh, it's a freaking headache, the long lead times and, you know, especially the last handful of years, uh, freight coming from overseas has been a freaking mess. Um and then, uh, yeah, and then the zippers, same thing with YKK. We order those in um, kind of six to eight-month chunks where we just have a, a huge shipment of zippers show up and good to go for eight months, and we kind of repeat that. So we only order like twice a year-ish. But that's that's pretty much it. Like it's, uh, uh, I think our language on the website is like we, we specifically say like, hey, we source and buy USA material wherever we can, but we've never really did like a, a deep dive into each individual part. Um, but I would say as a whole, 95% of all the components in the pack is made in the U S very compliant. Um, and so it's something that we prefer to do. It's frankly easier. Um, and then even in the case of zipper, it's actually more expensive for us to go get that YKK RC zipper and bring it in than it is to buy the U S version, but it's just a better product. And, we're certainly willing to do that. Yeah. I think the YKK example is a good one because it, it kind of highlights the, I don't say like gray area of Made in USA, but just how it's not always as cut and clean as possible. Like you take YKK, yeah. they're a Japanese company. They have a US presence. They build some of their product line in the US. They build certain things in their product line that you can only get overseas. For a product like ours, they build a portion of it overseas and then finish it in the US like it's just not as like black and white and as you said Steve it's like okay there are YKK zippers that we could have 100% sourced in the US but if it's not the best product 
period. And we're still buying from the same company. And that same company has a better product that involves some overseas manufacturing. Like, do we go with the better product or not? Right. And yeah. hopefully, like, and we've obviously had that conversation with YKK. Like, we'd love to have the best product from YKK, which YKK, if you're not aware, is known for building the best zippers across really almost any spectrum. Please build this one in the USA, right? <laughs> but we can't force their hand to do that, you know? Yeah, so I'm all about USA until it comes to the point where I'm, I have to use an inferior product to do so. And then at that case, I'm, I'll go look wherever I got to go look to find it. Uh, fortunately for us, like if you were, uh, you know, like high end, super high end tents and stuff like that, those materials, like the mills that are actually making finishing like yeah. super high quality tent fabric, oof, like good luck trying to get that in the u.s like it's, there's some things that exist but it's not going to be to the same quality like we just don't have that technology um as, as, as near as available as you know it's what they're doing overseas yeah. um but for, yeah. fortunately for us being like you know we're we share a lot with the military world like if the military world didn't exist um in the u.s right all this manufacturing that'd be really hard for us to probably get this stuff like we're not, yeah, we're not making, we're not uh, like a Hilleberg, right? Like a Hilleberg fabric. I don't, to my knowledge, I've asked around, like you can't get that f- type of fabric in the United States, right? Uh, or, you know, super techie. Um, uh, yeah, just like I was thinking like backpacks, like REI style backpacks, like some of the things that they're using, just not available. But because 500D uh, is so common and, um webbing and buckles and stuff like that because like i said i don't if the military market didn't exist i don't think that stuff would exist here in the u.s anymore yeah fully agree cool um one follow-up that came out of our previous monday minutes uh again that was after sheep show we were recording we were doing listener q a uh very casual in the hotel room and we made a comment about like the ridiculous kind of cost of sheep tags and things like that from <laughs> sheep show um mm-hmm. and it was it, i guess questioned to us like hey are you guys aware that those dollars are like fundraisers essentially for conservation so i just want to clarify mm-hmm. there like it's we are not saying that someone shouldn't like spend a lot of money or that a lot of that money doesn't go to a good cause i think where we're coming from steve is is not it's not all pure in the sense that the reason a tag goes for say four hundred thousand dollars one year or six hundred thousand dollars the next year isn't because someone wants to give two hundred thousand dollars more to conservation it's because they've found a ram that's pre-scouted and that's bigger and they're putting a pure dollar amount on this trophy that is essentially guaranteed and they're buying it right so like there's a lot of good that comes out of these high dollar tags and a lot of money goes to conservation. I'm all for that. It's just also a little bit crazy that a lot of those dollars change can change pretty dramatically simply because like, Oh, there's a bigger one this year. Let's pay for the bigger one. So that's the part that I think we were addressing again, not saying that there's not good that comes out of those dollars. Well, we'll have to do some research on where those funds go. I'd love to know. Um, 
Yeah. Is it, I'm assuming just to sheep or is it conservation across the board? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I it, I don't want to speak for everyone. I do know that a lot of it does stay towards sheep, right? Like that's, yeah. at least that's the point of it and to be the point of it. But again, you right. get into each of these states tags, you have different agencies involved. I'm sure there's different protocols, administrative fees, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't want to also paint with a broad brush and say that, you know, Montana a, and Colorado and this, like they're all used the same way. Sure. Maybe it's some, like, let's get someone from Sheep Foundation on the podcast and just chat through that. I'd love to know that and understand that better. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, that was a good follow-up and a good point. Again, we're not trying to poo-poo on raising money for conservation. <laughs> just highlighting that uh, some of it still is silly based on inches. Um, a cool follow-up from a listener. So we had talked at one point in December. Um, I don't remember the exact context, but I brought up the Flextail Zero, which is a really small air mattress pump. And now I've historically not used their previous products, but they had this new one coming that looked good and had great specs, etc. Uh, I did get one and have done very brief testing but hadn't talked about it yet because I've only done very brief testing. But this listener actually reached out and has done a lot more testing. So I thought it'd be really cool. Uh, shout out to Damon Jacobs who did this testing and kind of shared some results. So I'm sharing it with you guys. So he got that same Flextail Zero. I'll leave a link to it in the show description if you guys are unaware of what I'm talking about. But new small battery powered pump. It weighs with the pump itself, a battery and one they have different basically adapters based on the type of valve you have for your air pad. So the pump, the battery, and the adapter valve weighed in right at 2.1 ounces. And then Damon also said he was previously carrying uh, the storage slash inflation bag that came with his X-Therm, and that weighed 1.6. So essentially he's a half ounce more than he was by carrying that previous bag. And then he did some cool testing. So he did a full charge on the battery, and on one full battery... It inflated his pad 14 times and deflated it, which we talked about this. It can deflate your pad, meaning it's going to pull extra air out and get it as small as possible almost 14 times. He said it died on like the 14th uh, deflate. So essentially like 14 inflations and deflations on a single charge. He said it took roughly 80 seconds to inflate the pad each time and about 60 seconds to deflate it. And obviously, if you only use the pump to inflate the pad, not deflate it, you should be able to get 25 plus fills out of it. And again, that's a single charge. So if you think about a 10-day hunt, how many guys are doing longer than a 10-day hunt? You're inflating, deflating every single day on a single charge easily, which is pretty cool. So um, again, thanks to Damon for doing some of that testing. I'm going to continue to do some testing with mine and use it in the field, but uh, I thought it was cool to see those results on that. And again, there'll be a link in the show description if you guys want to check out that pump. Steve's like, ah, it's still two ounces and I have air in my lungs. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> uh, I wanted to just be like, just be a freaking man. And it takes me 15 breaths to blow up my pad. Like, uh, and it's something I don't have to like charge and worry. You know what I mean? Like there's a cost to yeah, for like sure. having to manage all that crap. It's one more item that, you know, oh, oh is that charged up? I got to plug in the night before and deal with. And yeah. I get it. Like I, when I do, um, the a float trip with my brother and, and Jack that actually works out the works out in our warehouse. 
uh, we do this steelhead float trip almost every year for the last 15 years. And I've got a pump that I, I already have because of the blowing up my raft. And uh, I made a little adapter to blow up my pad. And it's freaking awesome. Like you're, I just clip it in, you know, keep doing camp chores and all of a sudden I come check on it and it's good to go. Like it's, it's super yeah. handy. But when it comes like a backpacking hunt, for me, it's like, yeah, I mean, I get it. It's, I'm sure it's super cool and appealing. It just, um, it's like, yeah, if you can't blow up your pad, uh, you probably got some other issues. You shouldn't be out there. I'm going to tell you that if I pack that on our next hunt, you want to borrow it. Like, <laughs> that's going to be hey, one man, of those deals. Like, you got some issues. Hey, how's, that, how's that pump going over there? You, you know, let me borrow that sucker. Yeah. Dude, well, that's what was so nice is uh, Mark had packed one on the sheep hunt. And of course, I was like, well, you packed it. I'll use it if you're offering. Yeah. And it was so freaking right. nice. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, I, I know it'd be super nice. Like, it is annoying. You get, it's, you're tired at the end of the day. Depending yeah. on the elevation you're at, you get pretty lightheaded after you do it or if you try to do it real fast. But, um, I just started counting breaths. Like I, it just makes it easier for me, you know? Um, and I know it's like 15 breaths, like good full breaths. And then that Thermarest, uh, NXT pad I got this year, it's like right at the perfect level, you know, minimal adjustment mm-hmm. after that. And it just makes it, it seems to make it easier. Cause you're not like, just feel like you, Oh God, I've been doing this for five minutes. It's like, no, it was 15 breaths. Like I'm okay. I got this. I got this. I could do All this. Right uh let's hit one one listener question uh this guy's gearing up for spring bear which just flat out got me excited to think of okay winter will make it through spring bear is coming but he said they're coming to uh idaho for a spring bear hunt him and his dad he said they don't have any high quality rain gear and he was wondering about he said they do have lightweight packable rain jackets just no high quality rain gear so i'm assuming they probably have something like I don't know, frog togs or a marmot jacket, like something budget, probably not quote unquote hunting mm-hmm. rain gear is how I read this question. And he was basically saying like, hey, can we get away with our lightweight, assuming non-hunting rain jackets and a tarp? Or should we invest money not into a tarp, but into better rain gear? And they're trying to keep everything budget friendly. So he said he was looking at a $100 tarp from Bora Gear seems like something they could both share and use for spring bear hunting if they needed additional protection to get out of the rain of course in addition to their lightweight you know i'm assuming cheap non-hunting rain gear so he was just wondering thoughts pros and cons on that so uh, i'll take a stab first and then steve you can weigh in you're not prepared for this question so let you think about it you when i think of really quality rain gear versus a tarp the first thing that comes into mind is obviously mobility right so if you're using a tarp as a shelter for precipitation that just means you're sheltering in place right so you're you're gonna be under that tarp under that shelter you're losing mobility if you want the coverage of that tarp seems very basic makes a lot of sense but just something to keep in mind if you're out in the rain or it's raining for days and you need to be mobile well of course that tarp's not gonna do very much for you because you're going to have to move at some point for spring bear you tend depending on the time of the year you're going you're probably going to tend to do a lot of sitting and glassing anyway so you don't necessarily always have to be mobile um obviously you're packing in packing out chasing a bear there's times you're mobile but there's a ton of time you're sitting and glassing so i do think that a tarp for spring bear specifically can be really helpful um going back to some of the spring bear hunts like the year we had that group hunt steve with exo guys I hunted with uh, Ryan, Ryan Bayless and 
uh, somebody else one day, I think Joey Pyburn, and it was a rainy, nasty day, and we had a tarp, and it was awesome sitting and glassing under a tarp for several hours while it rained. So it's a great approach, I think, for spring bear, just obviously understand the limitations to it. And yeah, I mean, you can get rains in the spring for sure. You can have wet days, but I just wouldn't over like be overly concerned with it. And long story short, I would say, yeah, I think I would rather invest in a hundred dollars in a tarp you guys can share rather than go drop, you know, 400 bucks a person on quote unquote good hunting rain gear for sure. And then I will just say with a tarp, he mentioned the Abora gear tarp. They make different models, but with a tarp, always practice. Um, when you have a tarp that is versatile, that's great. Like you can set up in a bunch of different configurations, but the versatility comes at a cost of, well, shoot, I can set this up in a bunch of ways, but how do I actually set it up? So just practice with it, understand how to set it up in different configurations with poles, with not. Uh, an A-frame or a lean-to. Um, there's so many different ways to set up tarps and then just keep elevation in mind as well. So that'd be my quick thought is, yeah, if you want additional protection to your lightweight ring gear, a small packable tarp is a pretty good choice for sure. Anything my head immediately went to, are they backpacking? Yeah, he didn't clarify. Didn't clarify, yeah. If you're not, if you're backpacking, eh, you can start like, maybe you need to take ring gear. If you're not backpacking, completely like, moot point don't even bother with it right like if it rains so hard that you're miserable and you gotta like hike back out and go to your truck and hang out at camp until things dry out like you're you know you're gonna have extra clothes there and then hang your stuff up in the tent and let it dry out or whatever like just do that um if you are backpacking you know it's like even idaho in the spring sure we get some like a, a typical you know, you're generally going to have pretty nice weather. You could, you know, like that, there's that one year we went, Mark, um, the forecast looked like December, right? Like it was That's supposed it. to be like 14 degrees and snowing and a high of 30 and, um, ended up not being nearly as bad as that the forecast calls if I remember right. But generally you're going to have like very sunny, warm afternoons. And then, uh, we get, it's very common to get kind of these thunderstorms that roll through that last 15 minutes to an hour, right? Um, and that like in those kind of situations, uh, if the temps are somewhat warm at all, I'll just get like, if I'm, that'd be a, um, when did we, oh, it was during, when we were down at shot show, we did that question, like synthetic versus wool, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, for a base layer, that'd be an example where I'd go for wool. Like, um, if I know there's a chance of precipitation cause wool, like if it's warm enough and I just wear my thin base layer of wool, like I can get pretty wet and I'll just stay fairly warm and comfortable especially if I'm moving at all. And then the sun comes out 30 minutes later and it all dries out and life's good again. Right. Um, that's, that'd be the approach I would take. Um, if I was backpacking, it'd be like, I mean, maybe have a, just pack that rent lightweight kind of cheap ring gear. These already got jacket. And then the reality is you're probably not going to use it. Like just in my experience over the last 20 years, anything in the, you know, the exception of Alaska, uh, and like Oregon coast, like rain gear is just not that big of a deal. It's so rare that the weather is so freaking terrible that you, that you need that, that you're out hunting in it all day long. And especially bear hunting the bears, um, 
you definitely if it's raining and the sun's gonna come out you want to be like sitting and glassing a really good green hillside mm-hmm. for when that rain stops uh, in which case that tarp would be absolutely ideal that's that's exactly how we saw your bear last year remember that we were yeah, up on the spine ridge that. uh we didn't have i mean we actually had all of our backpack and stuff with us but we just found a really good kind of thick pine tree and sat underneath it and and then we were glassing that hillside and it's raining and raining and raining and then stopped and bam there's a bear i went and shot it so um definitely a little pro tip 6008 for you to be be prepared for when the rain stops yeah Um, but yeah in general just that just you know rain gear is just not it's just not that important compared to if i lived and hunted in alaska or again oregon coast places where it rains a lot and you do have to deal with the weather because just here in idaho you know yeah if it's if it's like four days of just downpour rain a the hunting's going to be miserable b you're going to be miserable like you're just you're not going to go hunt in that um just you know go back to camp and wait for that to pass well yeah guys thanks for the questions um we back to normal for a couple weeks here now that we're not traveling so we would love to answer your listener questions so just as always send those to podcast at exomongear.com and if you're not yet subscribed to the podcast just hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app to do that We'll talk to you soon.